Scripture reading this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 15, which is known as the resurrection chapter. The chapter in its entirety deals with the mystery of our resurrection in union with Christ. We begin the reading at verse 50, the climactic conclusion of this great revelation. Let us ask the Lord to give us ears to hear his word. Father, we thank you for the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we seek now the blessing, the help, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, O Lord, that your voice would speak through the word of Scripture and that your Spirit would work true faith in us so that we would believe it, rejoice in it, and seek to live more faithfully in response to it. Through him who loved us, who died and rose again, and shall come again, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. But the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, and to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. I believe in the resurrection of the body. We say that in the Apostles' Creed, but what do we mean when we say it? And how do we wrap our minds around it? And what does it mean for our lives today? I believe in the resurrection of the body. We say that because the Bible teaches it. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15 is not the only passage in the New Testament which reveals the resurrection of the body. Philippians chapter 3 says our citizenship is in heaven and we await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, this is not a peripheral teaching of the New Testament. It is, in fact, the heartbeat, if you will, and the revealed grand conclusion, glorious conclusion, to Christ's great work of salvation for us. Jesus himself said, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, S-O-N, and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body, we are affirming what the Scripture reveals. We are affirming the very words of Jesus himself. But what do they mean? Now, with regard to what we call life after death, the Bible teaches us at least two basic points. First of all, the Bible does teach us, yes, that at the moment of physical death, the souls of believers are made perfect in holiness cleansed by the blood of Christ, and pass immediately into glory, into the presence of God. There is personhood. There is personal consciousness. There is joy. To be, the Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians that to depart and be with Christ is better by far. Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross, This day you will be with me in paradise. The souls of believers are made perfect in holiness. All sin is removed. And they immediately pass into glory, into the presence of God. And that's what we mean when we speak about going to heaven when we die. But as surprising as it may perhaps sound, going to heaven when we die, as wonderful as that will be, going to heaven when we die is, is not the fullness of our salvation as revealed by the Scripture. The Scripture reveals that there is yet more. And this is the second point which the Scriptures clearly teach and where we're focusing today. History, this world, had a beginning, Genesis 1-1. History, this world, will have an end when Christ comes again. The last judgment, the resurrection of the dead. 
At the end of history, on the last day, when Jesus Christ comes in power and glory to judge the living and the dead, the Scripture says the dead will be raised and the perishable bodies of believers will be raised imperishable. The mortal bodies will be raised immortal. Believers will be clothed in a spiritual body. That is, a body filled and empowered, not by the natural forces of of nature as we are in this world, those natural forces always in decline and headed toward decay, no, but filled with the Spirit of God for eternal life in His renewed, redeemed, deathless creation. A new creation set free, says the Scripture, from its bondage to decay. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks to us about this mystery of the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of our bodies. Now, I know that it is a mind-boggling mystery. It was a mind-boggling mystery to the Corinthians of the first century. They didn't understand. They had questions about it, and the Apostle Paul was actually addressing those questions. Of course, we don't know everything about it. Of course, we know hardly anything about it. We cannot explain it fully. We can't imagine how it will take place. We are finite. Our minds cannot comprehend the infinite and the eternal. We now see through a glass darkly. But nevertheless, God has revealed it to us about the mystery of this resurrection of the body. He has assured it by Christ's own resurrection from the dead. Christ's body was raised out of the tomb. His body bore the nail prints of his crucifixion, the scar of the spear wound in his side. Yet we know that his body was somehow quite different, transformed. He could appear and disappear at will. His body was not limited to the laws of natural physics in this created order. And so in the first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us that the resurrection of our bodies is a mystery which is patterned on Christ's resurrection. He also says in the passage previous to the one we read, uh, by way of an analogy, one which I feebly attempted with the young disciples, what you sow, a seed, does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, there's a continuity between that big oak tree and that little tiny acorn, but if we didn't know that, it'd be hard really to imagine, wouldn't it? Paul then goes on to tell us that the resurrection bodies which believers will receive will be bodies which are perfectly fit, for life in the new creation, life in a renewed, sin-free, deathless, everlasting creation in which God's people, redeemed in Christ, will live forever in righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, I know the kind of questions that pop up in our minds when we try to imagine the resurrection of the body. How could this possibly take place? Decomposition of bodies and dismember, you know, all, all of that. Those questions are simply to be 
um, understood in light of the sovereignty of God. Think about this, for example. An atheistic evolutionist, somebody who, who believes um, in an absolutely uh, materialistic evolution, thinks that the universe in which we live, in all of its beauty, grandeur, splendor, complexity, with with just the perfect tilt of the sun and just the right mix of hydrogen and oxygen, that, that this glorious world in which we live somehow, suddenly, without cause, without purpose, without design, simply poofed into being. And life on earth in all of its varied forms developed without design, out of a cauldron of chemicals, and here we are, marvelous creatures living in a life-sustaining universe that sprang out of nothing by means of nothing. The really amazing thing, the really unbelievable thing, is that all of this supposedly happened without God. Now, If an atheistic evolutionist can believe that, then why is it so difficult for us to believe that the one who in the beginning said, let there be light, and there was light, could also say to the dead, arise, and the dead will rise. The one who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth out of nothing is fully capable in the end of redeeming it and recreating it and bringing a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. If the Lord can make a man out of dust and give him life, he can raise a dead man out of the dust and give him life. And we don't need to try to understand how that will happen. The point here is that the resurrection of the body is the crowning event of our salvation, the fullness of our redemption for which Christ died and rose again. Because we were created to be bodily creatures. We were created to live on the earth and to display the glory of God. Body, mind, soul, and spirit. We were created to live in relationships with one another. This is what is so painful about death and grief. You know, we often say about the deceased Christian, he or she is in a better place. And that's true. And that's some comfort. But the fact is, if we're honest, that's not all the comfort we want. We want her back. We want him back. We want to live life in the fullness of that relationship because that's what we were created for. We were created to live forever for the glory of God. The reason that we don't is that we live in a fallen world corrupted by sin. Sin entered the world by one man and death through sin and that sin has thrown the whole creation into its bondage to decay. 
And that's what we rail against. That's what's wrong about death. And so we ask, Christians ask questions, well, will we recognize one another in heaven? Will we know one another? Well, listen to the, listen to the, to the point behind those questions. We wonder about recognizing one another in heaven because we wonder what life will be like living disembodied, invisible souls in heaven. I, I do believe, and I believe the scripture teaches us, yes, that in heaven, in the presence of God, there is a knowledge of one another. There is a fellowship of saints, yes. But the real point here is that when we wonder about these things, we want the assurance of a real and personal, if you will, a tangible life. You know, it's, it's sometimes, it's sad, but in, 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 in some ways, you know, because of these uh, caricatured cartoons that, that, that we see in magazines and newspapers about heaven, you know, heaven is, isn't really something that is taken seriously. And um, I, think, I think there's a kind of a fear that, you know, we're going to get cheated. It's not going to be as good <laughs> as life in this world. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I get that sense. You know, it's sort of like, well, you die and heaven's your consolation prize maybe or something. Well, what's going on with all that? Well, what's going on with that is that there is still within us this sense that we want to live forever. We want to live fullness of life. We want to be who we were created to be. And we were created to be bodily creatures, fully alive, living for the glory of God. And that is the reason that Christ came. To redeem and rescue humanity and all creation from the curse of sin and decay and death. Christ's resurrection from the dead is God's declaration that he has destroyed the power of sin and death. Through him, a new creation is coming. And God's people redeemed in Christ, yes, will live forever with our lowly body transformed to be like his glorious body. We're going to be more alive than we ever have been in this world. Because we're going to be fully alive with the Spirit of God, fully alive with the love of God, fully alive with the joy of God. In a sinless, deathless, eternal creation. Now, what does that mean for us today? It means, first of all, brothers and sisters, that there is a connection from, it, from our lives in this world and the life in the world to come. There's a continuity, you see. You, you, you see, you're not just going to dissolve into the ocean of consciousness and, and blend with all of the other you know, spirits of the universe or whatever. And you're not going to get on a revolving wheel of reincarnation where you would hopefully come back to a better life and be something different from what you are now. No, 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 no. There's a continuity. You, the true believer in Christ, who you are in this world, in your individual personhood, 
the person that God made, the person whom He knit together in your mother's womb, you, in your individuality, will be raised. You will not disintegrate into nothingness. You will not be absorbed or dissolved into universal consciousness. You will be raised. It will be the new you. It will be the eternally new you. You, you will finally be free from the corruption of sin. You will be free from the bondage of mortality. You and your unique individual personhood, but completely redeemed, sanctified, glorified. You will be glorified dust. You will be who you were always intended to be and you will live the life you were created to live, a life full of love for God and love for His people. And then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now think about what that means to you today. What that means for your life in this world, in this fallen world. It means that your life today matters to God. God gave you your life at a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular purpose. And what you do in the body that God created for life in this world, it matters for all eternity. You see, the resurrection of the body means that our, our eternal salvation is not an escape from this life in this world. That's an important point. Our eternal salvation is not a matter of an escape from life in this world. It is rather the complete and perfect redemption of our life in this world, and it gives meaning and purpose to our life in this world. The resurrection of the body means... That through Jesus Christ, the totality of your life will be redeemed. The totality of all of who you are will be redeemed and glorified. Now you think about it. The whole of your life, the totality of your life is going to be raised up, redeemed, made new, even glorified together with Christ. Think about what you do in your body. Well, the answer to that question is you do everything in your body. Right? Even the thoughts that you think emanate from your body. Your brain is a part of your body. Everything that you do is connected to your life in the body. Your relationships, your work, your joys, your pain, your tears. Everything about your life is connected to your body. And the scripture says God's going to raise up that body, meaning the totality of your life. What does that mean? Well, it means that in our new bodies, our new bodies will be not only free from disease, no more aches and pains, no more arthritis, no more cancer, no more common cold. It also means that our deepest emotional wounds will be healed. And all of our sad memories 
will be transformed into joy. Everything sad will become untrue. And it means that nothing done in obedience to the Lord or in the spirit of love for the Lord and therefore love for another person, nothing done in sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ will have been done in vain. What you do in this world, your labors of love, your acts and deeds of faithfulness, changing diapers, washing dishes, giving a cup of cold water, feeding the hungry, giving sacrificially for the sake of Christ's kingdom, working to protect and to provide for the lives of the needy or the vulnerable, reaching out to your neighbor with love and compassion, teaching children the gospel, working in the nursery, visiting in the nursing home, digging a well in Africa, or sending the money to do it, serving meals at the Salvation Army. None of it will be lost. None of it. What you do in the body matters to God and He will prove it by raising it all up, redeeming it, perfecting it, and bringing it into His kingdom and displaying it for His glory for all eternity. So that means that your life lived in the body is not in vain. It does not simply get thrown away as though it were not important. It doesn't get burned up on the ash heap of history. It is not forgotten. It will all be redeemed and every tarnish of sin will be removed from it. Isn't that great? Even, Even when your best efforts fall short. Well, that falling short is going to be perfected in His kingdom. Your life will be affirmed. You will hear the Master say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. Just as Jesus' life on earth was affirmed and vindicated by His resurrection, so also your life lived for Christ will be affirmed. Vindicated, glorified together with Christ. So note how the chapter ends. The Apostle Paul does not conclude his great chapter on the resurrection by saying, All right now, dearly beloved, since your bodies are going to be raised and and transformed, then you can just sit back now, relax, you know, Jesus has done it all and Jesus is going to come back and everything's fine. So you just go on and, you know, you just live your life like you want to. And then when he comes back, everything will be great. Is that what God says to his people? No, quite the opposite. Based on the promise of the resurrection of the body, the apostle, speaking the word of God, says, Therefore, my beloved Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord 
Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Your life is not dust and ashes. Your sacrifice for Christ is not a waste. Get to work. Use your bodies as instruments of righteousness. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Live in your body now. For the sake of Christ. It's worth it. Laying down your life for Christ. Is not in vain. The end is not dust and ashes. But eternal glory. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ. To his name be all praise. Honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.